Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Do you like that inflection? I don't, and I feel like you have called into question everything that I thought was true about our show. Like, are they folk musicians? Is it honest? Is it called Basic Folk? Just give me something I can count on. Oh, okay. How about this? Hi, and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes, with my delightful co-host, Lizzie No. Thank you for returning to normal. No problem. I'm always here for you. I'm all about being normal. You know me. <laughs> normal as it gets. You know what they call her, old normie town. <laughs> <laughs> Today on the podcast, we have Brent Cobb. Lizzie had the opportunity to speak with Brent, who has a new gospel album out and uh, a crazy story that we'll hear about in just a bit. Basic Folk is a listener-supported podcast. You can make a financial contribution at our website, basicfolk.com. If you give at least $5 a month or $60 for the entire year, you'll have access to our bonus content, which also lives on our website, and it is called Backstage. Uh, you can also sign up for our newsletter at our website or follow us on social media at Basic Folk Pod. You can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. I want to encourage people to tell their enemies about the podcast. And here's why. Because if people are only telling their friends, we're probably only going to get one type of personality like maybe the nice people, right? But then if you tell your enemies, then we're actually branching out into the community of like bad people, which is a demographic I feel like we haven't tried to mm. reach for. You know what I'm Interesting. saying? Like why limit yeah. ourselves to people that we and our audience respect? Like why not reach out to everyone, including the losers, yeah, the bullies, yeah. the terrible bosses? I... uh draw the line at white supremacists and Nazis. I think I am comfortable saying on record that I too draw the line at white supremacists and Nazis. Um, in case anyone didn't hear us the first time, Cindy Howes, Lizzie No, Basic Folk, and all of our affiliates draw the line at white supremacists and Nazis. Speaking of affiliates, we have a really great piece of information that has already been shared, but uh, this is the first time Lizzie and I are talking together on a podcast about this news, is that Basic Folk has officially joined the Bluegrass Situations podcast network. Yay! My heart is a flutter, Cindy. The Bluegrass Situation people are so cool. 
We are like in with the cool crowd. This is a big step for us and I'm very excited for our new partnership. Yeah, lots of great things to come, but thanks to the Bluegrass Situation team for being so welcoming and so lovely. I feel like I have like a hundred spreadsheets and Google Docs that I've thrown at them and they're like, we love it. I say keep the spreadsheets coming. I think that's one of your love languages, if I'm not wrong. Mm, Google Docs. (laughs) Yes. We also have a podcast recommendation for you if you like folk music which I think you do because you're listening to us. Um, This podcast is presented by Folk Alley. Uh, It is called Why We Write, and it is hosted by the one and only Kim Rule, who is the former editor-in-chief at No Depression Magazine. She's had a long history of writing and being a rad person, uh, and she has talked to people like Mary Gaucher, Mark Aureli, Sunny War, Roseanne Cash on why we write and really digging into uh, the craft of writing. Uh, Kim is also a former singer-songwriter. I mean, she still might write songs, but she doesn't release them. So she comes at this from a scholarly perspective. And she's just like such a fabulous person. Uh, we're going to share an episode in our feed in just a couple of weeks, but you'll hear um, you'll hear us talking about it before the podcast starts. It's called Why We Write, and you can find it anywhere you get podcasts or at folkalley.com. Another thing is, is that Lizzie No is going to be on one of our favorite podcasts called You Are Good, which is a feelings podcast about movies. So it's Sarah Marshall and Alex Steed and Carolyn Kendrick. Carolyn has been on Basic Folk in the past. They talk about movies and break it down from like an emotional perspective. And Lizzie gets to pick the movie that that she's going to talk about. Can I tell them what I picked? It's so good. Yes, please. Guys, I'm talking about A Little Princess. I like, I cannot emphasize enough how important this movie was to me as a child. How quickly I can recall the theme song, like how strange of a movie it is for kids. The whole thing is absolutely batshit and I can't wait to talk about it. (laughs) With you are good. (laughs) I watched it within the last couple of years with my fiance, Elizabeth, and I was like crying my eyes out the whole time. And she was like, dry as a bone, like looking at me like, what is your problem? And I'm like, you don't understand. This is the trilogy of Warner Brothers. Yes. Children's stories come to life. The Secret Garden. And Black Beauty. (gasps) Black Beauty. Oh my gosh, I forgot about Black Beauty. I mean, I live it every day, but I forgot about the film adaptation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What book are you reading? Oh, I, this is tied into my into my vacation as well because when everybody went skiing, I opted to sit in the ski lodge reading bell hooks all day, um, and then like sort of just like randomly shouting things about the patriarchy. She has this amazing book that I'm sure a lot of our listeners know and love, all about love. Like right from the introduction, it blew me away. She was like, "This is a topic that needs to be talked about because." Culturally, we've decided that like love and emotions are the realm of women. And yet when it comes to like most of the popular books about love and relationships, a lot of them are written by men and we don't usually take women's opinions as seriously because we assume like, oh, that's just like a fluffy feminine, you know, silly, Mm -hmm. embarrassing, this and that. I started to really think about that, like how our views on relationships and feelings are often 
tainted by misogyny. And I think it can seep into how we think about music, how we think about art, you know, the way we take men's art more seriously by default. Mm -hmm. And it it really just made Mm -hmm. me want to like have a, yeah, have a deeper engagement with women's ideas about love and women's ideas about emotions and feelings about loss and this and that. So it's been a really, really enlightening and beautiful um, and tough read. Hmm. I hope you bring this into your episode of You Are Good because- You know I will. They're going to love it. (laughs) You know I will. (laughs) So that episode could be out now or it could be out in the near future, but we will let you know. We're recording this on Ash Wednesday. It is the beginning of the Lenten season. What are you giving up, Cindy? That's what I would like to speak about, Lizzie. Um, (laughs) So I am addicted to my my smartphone. What I'm going to do is try not to use my phone as much like I don't know if I officially want to say like okay I'll only use look at my phone between the hours of 10 and 6 you know work day mm-hmm. I need to have some kind of uh, device to play music on and podcasts so what I did is I fired up my old iPod did <gasps> you just hear that wow that click that click and I put a bunch of wave files on here because every month I make a playlist of new songs that I love. And so I decided to take that playlist, make it on title, but also like download the songs as wave files and then put them onto the iPod. Wait, are you able to do that through title? No, I had to find them in other other places like Bandcamp and such. Got it. Okay. So far, it's working out pretty good. I have 24 songs on here so far. I brought it to uh, my workout session and plugged it in. Like I had to find my little auxiliary cord and plug it into their um, their speaker, their Bluetooth speaker. And you know, we're doing our workout, and Donnie, who's my trainer, they were like, "This sounds like really good," and it made me realize it's because they're WAV files, and that's like the highest quality digital download you can get. Yeah, I live for a wave file. So now I need to figure out if I can put podcasts on it. I need to like purchase a Garmin GPS uh, and then figure out two, what is it, two-factor authentication. Oh my God. If the listeners could see the look I'm giving Cindy right now, it's a mix of like, ooh girl, and ooh girl, you know, like I'm proud of you. And I cannot imagine going through that much trouble to get music nowadays when we've gotten so used to getting things so quickly and conveniently. And I'm proud of you for taking these steps as ways to like declutter and refocus your brain. It's funny because it's actually cluttering my actual life well, you with cl- like files. and <laughs> Yeah. You can clutter your devices as a way to declutter your mind. Yeah, totally. Also, let me just say that I am on tour Please go to lizzynomusic.com slash tour and please find out if I'm coming and playing in your city because I would love to sing to you personally, dear listener. Also, you'd have the opportunity to see that Lizzie No is taller in person. I never thought of myself as tall because my sister is very tall, taller than I. So I thought of myself as the small one. And you know what that gets me thinking about is family. You know who loves their family um, and has a really deep 
and creative and unique relationship with their family? Can you guess, Cindy? It rhymes with bent knob. Mm, is it Brent Cobb? It sure is. You're the big winner. That sounds like a good whiskey. <laughs> Maybe it is. We should we should actually we should pitch him on that idea, like a celebrity whiskey okay. brand, Brent Cobb's Bent Knob. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, Brent Cobb. Let me say he was a dream guest because he was so game to talk about such a variety of topics and he's such an interesting guy. Really like dyed in the wool Southern gospel and country uh, artist. He kind of had this interesting path into the music industry, which is that his cousin is the producer extraordinaire, Dave Cobb, and they met as adults. Like, they didn't have a relationship growing up. They, um, by the time they they met, Dave was already this big-time producer. And so Brent passed him his demo CD, and they have worked together, um, and they've been growing that artist-producer relationship ever since. It's a very, That's amazing. Yeah, it's a very cool partnership, and I think... Something that's interesting to me as someone who like, you know, nowadays reads a lot of artist bios and is interviewing more and more people, a lot of male artists, I feel like love to don the like multi-hyphenate cap. And I don't want to speak for Brent, but he was really clear about saying like, Dave is the producer, you know, I'm, I'm a singer songwriter. And I think that there's this interesting dynamic where often it's like, we think of like the producer and artist is often this like male female dynamic where there's like this Mm -hmm. woman artist and she's sort of a muse, but I kind of see Brent that way. Like he has the voice of an angel. He's so creative. He's so cool. He has this like very gentle presence. And so I feel like he's able to transcend a lot of those bro-y country uh, stereotypes. So that's just my personal armchair psychology analysis of Brent. But back to his real story. He has released like hit album after hit album while also writing for some huge mainstream country stars like Luke Bryan, uh, which was very fun to talk about. He was nominated for a Grammy for his album, Shine on Rainy Day. And his recent album is kind of a pivot musically, but I think really makes sense in terms of the journey that he's on as an artist. Brent was in a really serious car crash with his young son in the back of the car. He kind of came to lying on the ground, you know, wow. got himself over to the car to check on his baby and he was like happy as a clam you know chilling in the car seat and it made Brent want to revisit his childhood roots growing up in the church you know being with family in the church pew all singing together the participatory community aspect of music so he has released this unbelievably good gospel album and now turned to page which is a very sweet title. And we talked about what it was like to approach these like time-honored songs and write a new original gospel song with his wife, Lane Cobb. It's a really moving song based on that, you know, life or death experience that he had. Um, and we talked about a, a million things, you know, touring, recording process, obviously his relationship with his producer and friend and cousin Dave Cobb 
and how he sees himself in terms of sort of an ambassador or an interpreter of Southern gospel culture and everything that that means to him. So he's a fascinating guy. We've already been in correspondence because we we talked about some poetry during our interview and we I just had to follow up with him about that. So I just, I think he's such a cool artist and his new album is super inspiring and my mom approves it. Uh, it is mom approved. That's right. She, I played it for her and she was like, let me write down this artist because the hymns are, I mean, there's just something so deep for me about these hymns and the way that he puts this gentle Willie Nelson kind of spin on them. Mm. So that's my many thoughts about Brent Cobb. Our target demographic is moms. Yeah. Moms. moms. Um, okay. Let's take a listen to a song from Brent's new album. This is Just a Closer Walk with Thee, and then we'll get to our conversation with Brent Cobb and Lizzie No on Basic Folk. Just a closer walk with thee is my plea Daily walking close to thee Let it be Dear Lord Let it be more thrilled to be here with the fabulous songwriter and performer Brent Cobb. So let's just get right into it. No chit chat. I want to set the scene as far as your upbringing and the church community that you grew up in. What was your engagement with spirituality as a kid? Like was faith something that you always held in yourself? Or was it more a thing that your family kind of brought you along? For sure, you know, Southern Baptist here from South Georgia, mm-hmm. so it was very much uh, family, you know, and most of my church is a very, very small little country church, and uh, a lot of the congregation was my own family, and uh, so, yeah, we would we'd just sing all these gospel songs, and my aunt played the piano in the corner, and my granddaddy led the singing, and then we'd just go eat a bunch of fried chicken and stuff, so it was, you know, it was very much family Sunday in the South vibes. Yeah. Going to church. Um, so not so much that fear and trembling all alone uh, spirituality, but more the community side of things was what like really drew you in. Totally. Very much. Um, that's absolutely what it was. And what do you think that type of upbringing did to your understanding of relationships? It makes me believe in a community and it makes me, you know, feel mm-hmm. like if you fall, you have someone to fall back on or vice versa. You know, you you help each other out and you try to uplift each other and uh, you enjoy lunch together. 
which is the which is the main the main reason you go to church there for it seems like for us was, was oh, yeah. to just starve yourself for about an hour and so you want to go eat a lot of food after the service as a family. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of my childhood. My grandparents are from North and South Carolina and I sat through a lot of long prayers. Mm-hmm. I appreciated it, Grandma, but I really was thinking about pie. Yeah, your stomach's just growling <laughs> the whole time, and the the yeah the preacher is is just like the those those like going ten minutes over noon, you know, and everybody's Always. yeah, yep. Yeah, that's like the real. That's like how I relate to Jesus in the desert, like <laughs> when you're just like waiting for it to be, and now yeah. everyone go eat moment. Yes. Um, so it sounds like you grew up in a really like participatory musical environment as well. So did it ever occur to you that music would be your job? I didn't view it as a job. I really, I didn't know, you know, I didn't even consider that you could get paid for it. And uh, even though my dad, my dad played on the weekends to, as a secondary source of income, but I, I didn't, Mm -hmm. so I knew you could do it that way, but I didn't think you could do it full time. You know, I didn't know that you could make a, you could keep your lights on with it. Yeah. Who were some of the like popular music people that you looked up to growing up? Um, growing up, I don't know. My dad was the first one. Um, I loved Willie Nelson as a kid and mm-hmm. uh, Dolly Parton has always just brought joy to my life. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Hank Williams Sr., all of the real traditional classic. As a matter of fact, at my church in Sunday school, uh, I was probably three or four, I can remember this pretty vividly, uh, the Sunday school teacher asked every, you know, all of us in the class to get up and perform a song of our choice. And so I stood up on the table and I sang, there's a tear in my beer because I'm crying for you, dear, by Hank, <laughs> by Hank Williams Sr. in Sunday school. And so, so it, you know, it's always been sort of one and the same, honky-tonk and Sunday school. Yeah. So. Oh, I love it. I think the best things in life combine the sacred and the profane. That's what it's I think. It's all one they, thing. Isn't that life? <laughs> That's just life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's an, I mean, you're, you kind of started out as a songwriter before stepping out as an artist. Do you mm. think there's an alternate universe uh, mm-hmm. in which Brent Cobb is just like a lifelong music row songwriter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I wish that was this timeline. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, no I, I i'm just touring has never been my favorite thing but for me it's been a it's just been necessary and uh and to put out yeah. my own albums it all i rem, you know one of the questions everybody asks you when you come to music row is well are you an artist or are you a songwriter and i'm like well i i sing them i write them i don't know i guess i'm both and and for whatever reason for me i've had several cuts by you know the radio commercial side of of things and and by other artists, but I those I've never had a big hit. But those songs have always been written as though I would put them on my own album as well. Got and, it. And I can't write the other way. I can't write for the commercial radio market. It never works. And it's not what any of those artists or people want to hear. So maybe there is an alternate universe where I'm just this massive hit songwriter. But I I it's. I'm not, that's not the timeline I'm in. I think I have so much respect for people who are able to sit down in a room with other professional writers and like write for somebody else's voice. Cause I think that takes a type of um, 
ability to like step out of your own experience that I just don't have. And I, and I think you are really also a strong songwriter in the sense that you are, you can tell that you are writing from your own experiences yeah. and you know, it's kind of like you're one or the other. I'm sure there's people that can do both, but it's tough. Yeah. I, I respect it as well. I, I, and terrible at it. I, every time I have, you know, when my daughter was born in 2014, um, mm -hmm. I'd stop touring and just wrote and did music row every day. And th during those years, I was trying really hard to do that. And I, I just can't yeah. do it. And that, this is the worst songs I've ever written, ever. And uh, I can't, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I don't have any luck with it anyway. So yeah, I don't know. It's definitely its own craft that, that I didn't yeah. get. What does Nashville do for you creatively? Like I know this recent record is really like a coming home record, but there are there things about Nashville that you find inspiring? Uh, always still uh, walking through the alleys on Music Row or uh, just really all of, like you, you know the song by Chris Christopherson, To Beat the Devil? All right, so yeah. you know, it, it was winter time. I love and I did too. It it was winter time in Nashville, down on Music City Row, and I was looking for a place to get my guitar out of the cold. You know, whatever. It, it's just all of that whole yeah. description of being a broke songwriter. And every time I go down there to write a song, or I have a little apartment that I split with some other songwriter buddies, that mm -hmm. and it's right there off Music Row. And uh, for when I come to town, and just being there is just like God. I'm the history of it all is is mm -hmm. all inspiring to me you know it, it very much is easy to sit up there late night on music row at a little pub house and go mm -hmm. who else did this all of my heroes you know it just it's yeah it inspires me very much that reminds me of like what i've heard from people that work in that airline industry of like having a shared apartment for for when you're in town right i mean you are married with a family is it weird to to like kind of go back into those bachelor times of like having roommates <laughs> well we're not usually there at the same time first of all so, okay <laughs> so because we all tour and so it's yeah it's not really but yeah i mean i feel guilty about it sometimes because and I'm not like last night I went out and played a show with my buddy Aaron Raytier and Hayes Carl was there and mm -hmm. Adam Hood and um and you know we played at the original basement which was it felt like 10 years ago yeah. and uh and then afterwards uh me and Hood who is one of the people I split this apartment with we went back to to the apartment we were there at 9:15 you know and everybody's going out and, <laughs> and we I just ordered two pizzas <laughs> and uh and you know, went to sleep at, at like 10. But I, I do feel guilty that, That's great. that my my wife, you know, is she's got the kids and my daughter's seven, so she's in school. And and so it'd be different if, if we were, you know, if my kids could all, if Lila didn't have to be at school and they could just all be up here at the same time, it'd be great. Oh, man, do you think, do you dream of a world where like your kids could do school remotely and That's, they could like travel with you more? I do, but then... I mean, it is, I can't, you want your kids to go be around other kids. I do, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, which we did do remote school there for a while, but I wasn't touring because there was a global pandemic. Yeah. But <laughs> it, uh, Horrible, horrible times. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I hate to even say it with a smile, but what else can we do? You know what I mean? We're, we're, I know. We're a, a couple of the lucky ones who get to still work and, and 
we have mm-hmm. our health for the most part. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I do think about, um, you know, I would love to get to the level of, and maybe this sounds crazy, but if I could have just two buses and, and one yes. bus, one bus would be great. But if I could have two buses, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and one of the buses for all of us and the band and the crew, but then the other buses for the family. And that's not just my family, just anybody in the yep. band, you can rotate your family coming out every other weekend. Mm-hmm. It'd be fantastic. Oh, that'd be great. And it would, it would be like, no cuss words in the family van, and then <laughs> Depend- we bring you know. Then you bring the rest of the rock and roll in the in the trailing you, van. You, you just you leave the family band after the family weekend, and you get into the the, the crew bus, and you just let all the cuss words spew out <laughs> yeah. at one time. You've been holding back. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I want that for you. I believe in you. I think you can get there. Thanks. I would like to talk about the artist producer relationship. Um, it's fascinating to me. I think that even if, like as an artist, even if you have a straightforward working relationship with your producer, like 95% of the time, mm-hmm. and like you're the most straight-laced people ever, I think at least 5% of that relationship needs to be like completely inexplicable, psychic thoughts between the two of you, just trying to like cast spells and create magic. Yeah. So. I am very curious about your dynamic with your cousin, Dave. I'm sure some of our listeners know Dave Cobb, who you've produced so much great music with. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone were to listen to your music, what are some of his trademarks that are on your records? And how has that relationship influenced you as you've moved from one album to the next? I'll first say that Dave and I have always had a working relationship and we didn't know each other Mm -hmm. growing up. And uh, we didn't meet until music happened. I mean, I was 18. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when we first met, that's how our relationship grew and uh, was a creative relationship. With that said, he produces very much like I write. If I'm writing a song, and I know it's a good song. It's very just spur of the moment and very uh, just whatever the muse is, you know, and I kind of know where to fit things and it just falls out of the sky. He's like that. He or, or like I, I'll see the end of a song if it's a good one, before I even start, you know, I just know exactly where it's got to go. And he's that way with a whole record. Like he, he's very oh, wow. much like he's, he's just a, I don't know what you call it, like an inspired producer. He's, he's, uh, but that's how I write too. So, th- so there are similarities and his mannerisms, I mean, he, remind, he, he, he probably doesn't even know it, but he reminds me of my grandpa a little bit, just some of the little things that he does. But, uh, mm-hmm. But I guess because we do come from the same creative cloth in that way, that we are a little psychic because, and I just, you know, you just, even if we weren't cousins, he, uh, you trust the guy because he's, he's not a producer that, uh, just has a bunch of money and can afford a bunch Mm -hmm. of gear. You know, he's, he's can play every instrument in there and, uh, and he's a student of great, wonderful records and he's an engineer first. So I think, you know, the secret behind every great record is a great engineer and he's all of those. I agree I don't think they get enough shine yeah. and I feel like I'm as an artist I'm always like truly at their mercy For sure. um, because if you grab the wrong mic or or you don't have it at precisely the right angle and distance especially with acoustic instruments yep. your record's going to sound like mud that's right and I don't know about any of that stuff I don't even know like mm-hmm. the mic that you have right there I don't know what that is yeah. And I, I don't, I just don't know the gear and stuff. And my, 
it's sort of like I remember sitting in algebra in high school and just my brain would I could not pay attention to what like it and that's how <laughs> I, that's how I feel when I try to think about anything other than writing or performing a song where Dave will be the whole time and he's usually playing on everybody's records too you know even if it's just an yeah. acoustic but while the whole band is going he is thinking about all of that stuff at one time mm -hmm. and like listening to each and everything at the same time I can't I don't understand how you do that but uh but Dave is uh if I'll bring in what I think is a completed song and it will be lyrically and mostly structurally but he may would go what about this little you know chord progression for a bridge right here then it'll be something mm -hmm. that you just have never thought about or like on my Shannon Rainy Day album there are mm -hmm. a lot of very singer songwriter songs like uh solving problems you know and yes most producers if you took in a song like solving problems which is you know very singer songwriter there would be no pep in the step there'd be no groove yeah. and dave is really mm -hmm. great at taking a song like that and making it bounce and just make you you know sort of like like bad bad leroy brown or something you know what i mean like that's the baddest man in the whole damn town do you yeah. bring in reference tracks or do the two of you just share enough mutual influences that you kind of get like oh i want this to sound like there are times when i'll mm -hmm. go and i'll be like i want this to sound like a sheryl crow song sure. and and then you know put together a playlist or do the two of you just share enough background it's a little bit that of both. you speak that language some, some songs if we can't find you know how it is if you can't find exactly what whatever that feeling is, then you might go, well, here is a perfect reference for that. Yeah. You know? and, and luckily, yeah, we both know so much music that it's really easy. If I can't think of a good reference, he'll think of a good reference. Oh, that's paradise. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of family, on your new gospel album, and now let's turn to Paige, mm -hmm. um, your dad and his gospel singing group came into the studio for Old Country Church. Uh -huh. It's such a great track. Thanks. How was it working with your dad? Um, I can't imagine having such powerful like family dynamics in the studio. Did you have to like run yeah. a tight ship there? No, he's they're great. He uh, He's had this gospel trio for four or five years now. They're singing together all the time. They have practice every Wednesday. And uh, and then they're usually performing every, every weekend. And they know, you know, the old... Uh, country church and the old rugged cross, so they they pretty much knew what to do, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it was great though. Oh, it turned out beautifully. Thank I mean, you. I've also read that your family has a really close history with that hymn, "Old Rugged Cross." Can you talk about that a little bit? It's a little bit of a long story, and it might get out there, but I'll here we go. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I don't have anywhere to go. All right. <laughs> uh, so when my that was my grandpa's favorite gospel song. Just before he got married he had had this dream and in this dream he is at a funeral and he walks up to the casket and it's him in the casket and so he wakes up and he tells his mother about this dream that he had and uh she says well that means someone close to you is going to pass away soon and the week of his wedding she passed away and when she passed away all of him and his siblings they all woke up at the same time of the night in different houses, you know, singing the old rugged cross, which was her favorite gospel song. And so 
neither of them knew that until the next day. They said, yeah, when they found out their mom died, they, they said, I woke up singing the old rugged cross last night. And they said, well, I did too. Well, I did too. Well, then at his funeral, he died in uh, April uh, of 2012, April 4th, 2012. Mm -hmm. At his funeral, my cousin and I were sitting in that little old country church that we grew up in. And we had a guest singer who was actually in my dad's gospel group, Mr. Joey Recker. He was uh, gonna perform the old rugged cross. We're sitting right beside the piano and the hymnal is open. And every so often the ceiling fan would turn a page in the hymnal. That by the time Mr. Joey sat down to perform old rugged cross, it was already on that page. And so he didn't have to turn the page at all. And uh, he just sat down and played it. And so that song is uh, it's a personal, my personal favorite gospel song and, and just the history in my family makes it even more so, you know. I told you it's gonna get out there. What do you make of that? Like, are you a person that believes in destiny? Do you prefer not to dig too deep into the details? Are you like, because sometimes when there's things I can't explain, I'm like, I need to make peace with not knowing yeah. what this means. Do you have an explanation for like, I don't know. Those pretty wild coincidences? I, I, yeah, it's hard to believe that they're coincidences, but I don't know anything. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I don't know. None of, we don't know. None of us know anything, really. And so, and we, and, we, and, we, and we don't have any control, you know, over. Yeah. We're just, we didn't have, we didn't choose to be here and we don't choose when we go for the most part. And uh, mm -hmm. so I don't know. Well, that leads us to a really wonderful song on the album, When It's My Time, which you co-wrote with your wife, correct? Mm-hmm. When the two of you wrote it, did you know that it was going to be a part of this gospel project? I didn't. And like, was it ultimately a challenge to kind of bring it together with these like other time-honored songs? Well, the way it happened, so I, my son and I were in an accident in 2020, yeah. and uh, we got T-boned. I only broke my collarbone. Could have been a lot worse. And uh, but after that accident, um, this song, "When It's My Time." was sort of born and uh yeah my wife and i were just sitting out on the back porch wrote it really quickly just something i wanted to say you know i have no control over when i go i knew on this gospel album i wanted to include at least one original which is the opposite right. from my other albums normally i'll do an album full of songs i wrote and one cover and i was going to do this other gospel song that i wrote when i was 17 called hold me closely that was my first cut as a songwriter also oh, wow. a, a crazy mythical story. I'll tell you that later. And so I was- I'm putting a pin in it. <laughs> and so I sat down and me and Dave, the engineer were getting, they were getting mics set up or something. And I had just wrote that song, When It's My Time. And I was reciting the words. I was like, man, check this song out, you know? And he was like, that sounds like a gospel song. <laughs> Maybe we should put yeah. it on this album. And so that's how that happened. Okay, that's that's a beautiful story. I also do want to hear more of your mythic tales. <laughs> but I wonder, you know, I you, you, I love thinking about the process from like, you're just writing a few songs, or you're just, you know, making coming up with a few arrangements, and you're not totally sure what it's going to turn into, all the way to the end of the process where you're sharing the songs with the world, you're on tour, you're mm. selling LPs, you know, the whole like business part of it. I feel like for anyone that considers themselves an artist, there's always 
some tension or at least interaction between the art side and the business side. Art and um, commerce. Yeah. The art and commerce mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And it's this record, I think, kind of heightens that because it's sacred in nature. It's deeply spiritual. It's about a really important spiritual moment in your mm. life where you were reckoning with mortality. Like there's so much spiritual weight to this record. Has that made you approach like the business side differently? Like how does it feel to be sh- now sharing that with the world and ramping up on tour and things like that? I, it felt like, I, don't, I remember a couple weeks before we went in, I called my manager and just asked like, man, am I, we're about to spend a whole lot of money on, on, uh, making a gospel album. Is that, do you think, yeah. should, should we do that? You know, is that smart? And he was mm-hmm. just like, man, you, you need to do what your heart's telling you to do. And, and so, and, and you're going to own it, you know, it's going to be on your record label. And Great. if it's something you feel like you want to share with everybody, then you should do it. And so I don't know, it just felt so natural. And, and perhaps maybe I should worry more about money, but I don't really. And uh, I'm not, loaded but i'm keeping the lights on you know i'm not i'm Hallelujah. not ma- i'm not making a killing but i am making a living and so i mm-hmm. i just uh i just don't worry i you know paycheck to paycheck i should worry more but i don't and right. so and so it, it just really doesn't occur to me i let other people i let the accountant worry about that mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know i don't know if that's good <laughs> that's great no you have to do your job which is doing the inspired stuff i, I feel like if it didn't work out and i all of a sudden I wasn't making my living making music. I would I will go back to, you know, being a tree surgeon. I don't know. I'll I'll do something else, you know. You're a tree surgeon? Well that's what they called it. I, we would we would transplant uh we would put pine trees. We would, you know, tree farmer. I don't really know what I'm doing. I can just run a chainsaw. Wow. I feel like if knowing a lot about something makes you look at it differently and people who know a lot about trees I feel like you have to move through the world with like a a deeper care and understanding because you can like have a relationship with all these plants around you. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'm just glad to be here on this on this rock <laughs> and experiencing it all. Anyway, tree surgeon yeah. or no tree surgeon. I have a question about an interview you gave um, around the release of your last album, Keep Them On Their Toes, which is such a great record. My favorite track, if people are curious, is Brent's duet with Nikki Lane. You said about that album that it was a way to share yourself with your kids if you ever died and didn't get a chance to watch them grow up. That really struck me, especially because that was years before, you know, the car accident and this album, which really does feel like that legacy album, do you always keep mortality front of mind? And like, is that part of how you think about your artistic process? Always. Yeah, it's it's all I ever think about. I don't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. anything, but I, I do know that <laughs> this life is so temporary and I can't even believe mm-hmm. that I get to experience it at all. And and uh, and I've always been that way. Even, I mean, I, I was like 12 years old reminiscing the old days when I, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. I miss... You know, I've just always sort of been that way and, and knew that it was all fleeting. And I, yeah, I every moment of my life, it's, you know, sometimes it induces anxiety and then other times it sure. it, it helps me to to realize I have no control, so there's no need to worry. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how 
in, in each album since my my first my daughter was born has been for that and uh you know like the first album is this is where i'm from that's where daddy's comes from and then this is stories about all those characters providence canyon and then keep them on their toes was this is what i think about and then this album the gospel album is this is what i believe in wow do you tell them about that as you work on each album are they like what do you think their sense is of your legacy um they, I don't think they're thinking about it like that right now. But yeah, I have told them. Or, or there's there's a song on Keep Them On Their Toes album that is uh, it's called uh, uh, Dust Under My Rug. And mm-hmm. there's a line that goes, um, I feed my babies when they cry. And and my daughter's always like, you do, daddy. <laughs> it's just like, you do. So, yeah. If that, that's You're doing matters. something right. Wow. If that rings true. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How did you work on the track list for this gospel album? I just like trying to put myself in your shoes. You grew up in the church. You must have had like a treasure trove of songs all kind of competing to be on this record. How did you go about creating a record out of something that's like this enormous tradition? I have said uh, that these are just sort of the Southern gospel greatest hits. And so they're Mm -hmm. just the ones that we would perform more often than others. And and my dad leads the singing at the church now. And uh, so I would ask him, you know, here's my list. What am I missing? And I would ask my sister as well. And and so they kind of helped me pick the songs for the the album. That's great. I'm wondering how you're feeling about the reception of, of the album so far. We're in this really super connected world and we're, we're very globalized in some ways, you know, streaming, social mm-hmm. media, Sirius XM, like all these, I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me as I was listening to your album that as much as it's something that anyone can relate to and it's super relatable and universal in some ways, it's also hyper regional hyper-specific to a particular place and time and tradition. So are there things that you hope that someone like, say someone in Egypt or, you know, Korea is listening to your album, like what do you want them to know about the Southern gospel tradition? Well, that that music is what is the reason why there is any music now. I mean, it's sort of like, it's the most popular music in the world. It's influenced gospel music, Southern gospel music, you know, has influenced all of the world. And, uh, you know, that's like the the British invasion of the 60s. They were just, Mm -hmm. they were just, you know, playing back to us their interpretation of what came from that region, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, that's, that was the whole point, you know, there's, it's all soul, you know, it's Southern soul, gospel, country rock, it's all it's all from that, you know? So I mm-hmm. think if you enjoy any of those genres of music, that's what, that's where it all came from. And that's what this album is. Absolutely. And is there any particular draw as far as like, do you want to tour this album, especially in the South, because that's where the roots are? Or do you feel like there's something special about playing it all over I, the place? I think it's better to play it. it it's a, once again, historically, like for whatever reason, the South Mm-hmm. They what it so much stuff comes from the South, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is the South doesn't recognize it when it's what created it. But until someone comes back and shows them, you know, like this is, you know, 
isn't the South the most American of America? Yeah, that's so you know, fascinating. Uh, you know that yeah, I mean? a lot of times like these traditions are like reinterpreted and brought back around, and it's on the back around that it makes the most sense to people. It's wild, and so yeah, it's, yeah. But but people outside of the South really appreciate it more yeah. so than the South itself. Yeah, and, and so <laughs> you know what I mean. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's very the South is obviously very diverse, and uh, totally. I don't know. It's just the most. For whatever reason, the South creates it all, but the rest of mm -hmm. the world, they recognize it as it's happening, the good and the bad. That's so yeah. true. I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. I also have been thinking about how for so many people, especially like if, you know, here in New York, people hear Southern gospel music, mm -hmm. they think, oh, that's a black tradition, right? Mm -hmm. And like you've credited Otis Redding, you've like been, yeah. you've been very upfront about like, you know, many of my influences are black artists. Yeah. And we are in this moment where so many people are questioning, like, what are white people's relationship to black culture? How can we make it better? How can mm. we, um, you know, proper, properly give credit where it's due? Do right. you feel like you have a role as a white artist to like, share this black tradition with the world? And, you know, even if you just want to share some of the black artists that have inspired you that people could could listen to I, if they I, love yeah, your music. I, I think just because it hasn't been done. You know what I mean? And I and yeah. I think I think just maybe because just people are just genuinely ignorant. They don't are they're not aware. True. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so if nothing else, yeah. I and 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 just the idea of what I said a while ago about the South being so diverse and like Yeah. We all went to school together. We were all going to church together. We were all eating, working. We were all poor together. You know, we all, like, we all were together. And and so there is no, that's why the South comes out. That's why there's such great music and, and, and art that does come from the South and food and everything because it is so, mm -hmm. you know, intertwined. And, you know, I don't know. And maybe I came from a different little pocket where I'm from, but we all got along too, you know. And uh yeah. And I don't know. I I love where I'm from, and I and, and I want the world to to know that. Yeah, it's it is like that. You know, I want to, I want people to yeah, know. Yeah, that that's it all that's what you were raised on, and that's what influenced you. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think you know. I come from I come at this definitely from like a very lefty socialist tradition, but that's what actually gets me really fired up about country and folk and Americana music. That from the outside and. And yes, there's truth to this. There is a lot of tension of, you know, making sure there's equal access Absolutely. to resources, et cetera. Absolutely. But I think there is also a tradition of like true class solidarity in country and Americana of like working people have so that's much right. more in common with each other that's than right. we realize. And that's the power of these simple songs that anyone can relate to. It's like, yes, we have a lot of reasons totally. to have tension with each other, but more than that, we like if we're working people side by side like why let ourselves get divided <laughs> and yeah and i and i think you know in my role in that too is is if if just musically inspires mm -hmm. someone to, to where I, they don't feel like i'm preaching at them you know like yeah. and i don't just <laughs> i don't mean the gospel stuff i mean all of the social issues as well like Mm -hmm. Maybe I think when someone discovers something themselves, or at least they, they think they have discovered something themselves, they're more apt to, you know, then act. And and so it's just like when you discover great music, like music that you, none of your friends know about, 
and you mm-hmm. and you feel like you discovered that, and so you go, oh, <laughs> yeah. every everybody has to listen to this, you know, and then you're the person that turned them on. I feel the same way with like social issues that if if you know yeah. it's just like. It's in there, you know what I mean? But I, but I think yeah. if people discover it, then it excites them, you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, anyway. Yeah, nobody yeah. wants to be like hit over the head with what they're supposed to do. But sometimes I think that you is gotta the hit role people of, over the, yeah, <laughs> of course. They gotta, but it's yeah. like in the long term, often it's like culture workers who are really able to move things forward because if there's a song that's undeniably catchy, it doesn't mm. feel like you're learning a history lesson, but that's how you can like, Totally. That's how we change the world. Totally. Hopefully. Yeah. And hopefully everybody Fingers has crossed a, that's ha- how we change the world. Everybody has a role and can work together, you know, on, on what mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Are you somebody that um, is always writing or do you kind of like to stay in one zone creatively and then close the book and then start the next chapter? I'm all, always writing. And sometimes mm-hmm. I, I won't know that I am, and I won't know that like all of these songs were for this one project until after, I, I'm like not intentionally writing for a specific direction mm-hmm. that I'm aware of, but my subconscious may be. And then when it's time to make the, the whatever that project is, then I go, oh, that's where all of these were coming from. Mm-hmm. So I just constantly write. Interesting. But now, but so I, yeah, I, then it's in retrospect that you divide it up into, or like then you start to realize, oh, a project has been may, coming it, together, whether totally. I knew it or not. And it may be halfway through, and then I will write with that intention. But then there are sometimes that and I, I remember when I first moved to Nashville in 2008, I was having trouble writing, and I was getting my first cut, which was that "Hold Me Closely" song, that other gospel song that mm-hmm. I told you had an other mythical story behind. And, uh, and can so, we can we hear the mythical story? I would okay. love to hear the mythical here, story. Here it goes, <laughs> and then I, and I'll lead into the 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 what I was going to say about seasons. Sorry, of, no, no, seasons of inspiration. Well, it's all one story though. So, okay, great. Um, I wrote this one of the first like real songs that I, that I was like, whoa, where did that come from? The it was mm-hmm. when I was first discovering the muse, and and these songs just would feel like they fell out of the sky, and there was one of them. It was called Hold Me Closely that I wrote in like 20 or 30 minutes. And it was sort of a gospel song, but I didn't know what it was about. It just fell out. And so two days later, my mama's mom passed away, my nana. And I was like, whoa, that's where that song came from, I guess. And I performed it at her funeral. And then that after the funeral, everybody was going to come to my folks' house and eat and all that. And um, before they got there, I laid down on the couch and fell asleep. And I had this dream. And in this dream, I woke up and everybody had shown up and I walk into my parents' den and there's a, you know, a living room and my Nana is sitting there on this stool and she's got this big white book with gold trim. And she leaned, and I say, Nana, what are you reading? And she leans it down and she says, a song book? And when she says that, I wake up from the dream and everybody's there that, that I had dreamed about. Well, I took that dream as though there are these songs that are already written in whatever, you know, in this universe somewhere else. And every now and again, one gets sent to me if I'm doing right. And uh, and so that song, Hold Me Closely, then became the first song I ever had recorded as a songwriter. It was my first cut as Whoa. a songwriter by the Oak Ridge Boys. And, uh, and so, and it's a gospel song. Well, 
at that studio that day, um, I was having trouble writing songs and uh, while they were recording. And Miss Jessie Coulter um, came in the studio and I was telling her, I said, Miss Jessie, I just, I feel like I can't write anything worth anything right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm kind of hitting a roadblock. And she said, well, honey, right now you're living and you need to just live. And then the songs will come later. So that's what I try to do. Oh, that is excellent advice. Damn. Wow. What a cool person to be getting casual songwriting advice from. You're telling me. I have a question for you that I have to ask, and you can and should plead the fifth if you don't want to answer. Mm. I am curious if psychedelics ever play a role in your creation process, because you seem so connected to your dream world. I call it the velvet world, where like it's the world of feelings and premonitions and those deep psychic connections. Okay, Mm -hmm. so yeah. Well, are we ever gonna get like a true like psych rock (laughs) album? (laughs) I don't know. I, I, you know, I've always been that way. I think my family's kind of that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Very, very rural and country people, but but also just Mm -hmm. sort of very connected to, to the earth and, you know, I, I think about my 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 grandpa would just sit there in a chair and stare out across the field. He didn't call it meditating, but that's what he was doing. You know, he's just meditating. Looking out on a vacant field. Yeah, I mean that's totally. And and you know those old the old schoolers they didn't they didn't think that they were doing that, but that's what exactly mm-hmm. what they were doing. And yeah. uh, and so and I didn't really start. Uh, I didn't get into psychedelics until. Uh, around 2017, and mm-hmm. uh, and and my preferred method is psilocybin, and uh, mm-hmm. and I love the velvet world. But I but all it does is it it the the way I describe it to people who have never had an experience is that it really just confirmed what I already knew, sort of. You know, yes. I just it I already knew it, and then I saw it with my own eyes. You know, I don't know that it's influenced my writing. It's weird. It doesn't matter what I do. If if I go on a drinking binge or if I get too mm-hmm. stoned or if I haven't had much sleep or if I eat mushrooms or whatever I do, mm-hmm. it never really affects the way I write. You know, now I can't I can't write while I'm tripping, but it but it doesn't yeah. <laughs> it, thank goodness for whatever reason it hasn't affected um my ability to write songs. It's just kind of there. Yeah. Well, and it seems like if you're already kind of attuned to those subconscious feelings and the way that you're connected to the world and other people, it would make sense that that, that isn't like a total reality shift for you. Right. Like tripping maybe is just connecting to a deeper part of yourself that you've always engaged sure. with. I wish everybody could that experience is- it. Yeah. Man, if everybody just at some point of age, just you had to just trip a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, like a little bit, (laughs) just a little, you don't have to go over the rainbow. You could just get Mm -hmm. to the rainbow, you know, like I think it just like a minor ego death or like an ego nap. If everybody could experience it one time, Mm -hmm. they would, it'd solve a lot of, a lot of things. I think that reminds me of uh, the new Hayes Carl album, which I love so much. When yeah. on nice things, when he's like, this is why y'all are all strung out to Christmas. Totally. <laughs> this is why I left you all them seeds. God, man. We, like, we've been given these gifts. Oh, my gosh. I just caused my my mic level to spike with my uh, passion. I, uh, <laughs> I saw Hayes last night. I love that dude so much. 
and uh, he's, he's oh, he's been, the best. He's been one of my biggest influences over the years. I, I mm-hmm. can't believe he talks to me, but he was he's uh, he's brilliant. You know, <laughs> I can believe it. You're in the right company. It seems like I think so. Do you read much poetry? I did as a you know in high school. Um, I I read a lot of fiction now. I read a lot of sci-fi, and uh, but no, not a lot of poetry. I actually want to. I've been trying to read more poetry, and uh, I discovered a haiku that I didn't know that was the most famous of haikus, and I won't be able to remember the author right now. But you probably know it. It's called. We can we can put that in the show notes later. <laughs> but uh, it's I, so my wife and I. When we're preparing my daughter's lunch to take to school, we've turned the napkins into works of art. And so we do a different message on her napkin every day. And so one of the ones that I did last week was this, uh, oh, it's this haiku called the 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 old silent pond or the old pond. Mm-hmm. And it is, it, it's so good. It's uh, by, I think by a Japanese um, poet, Oh, it's so good, but but it's like there was an old by quiet, Matsuo Basho. That's it. That's the one. There was there was a okay, quiet. Here it goes. There was a quiet pond. A frog jumps in, splash. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's, I that's perfect. I, I don't think I recited it well, but but so like I want to get back into reading more haikus and and mm-hmm. uh, and and just poem structure is helps so much in songwriting mm-hmm. for me. Oh, I think country music is traditional country music has so much in common with those like old English um, formal poetry traditions. Like For sure. having to write like sonnets and villanelles made me a better it's so good like pop you. songwriter, it's, I think. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's input, output, and it's, mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah. I, and it's I working re- in restriction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I need to refresh my memory on what, what the definition and titles of all of these uh, all of the the, the poetic the, types. I, I have yeah. some. I actually have some paperback books I can send you. I'll, I would I'll love mail them that. to you. Thank you so much. Really, I need. Of course, that. of course. <laughs> okay, are you ready to move into the silly lightning round finale of this interview? I think so. Okay, my rules for the lightning round are: you can skip any question. Don't think about it too much. Just first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I skip, I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> You're a man of the people, no celebrities for you. Um, what is the most important food or beverage on your touring rider? Water. Well, yeah. What is one fact about Luke Bryan that the world needs to know? He's a wonderful piano player. Ooh, that's a good one. What is your favorite pasta shape? Uh, macaroni, like elbow macaroni. Mm-hmm. Casket, cremation, launched into space, or other? Oh, man. I think other. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> what is your most useful non musical skill? Uh, I'm a good hugger. And finally, <laughs> what is your favorite children's book? Ooh, probably the Giving Tree, but I, I but I. Oh, that is a good one. But I love, um, I love the. Did you see the new rendition somebody did where they they sort of changed the story of the Giving Tree? 
it, does the tree finally get a little more assertive? Because that's, that's what that's, I've been wanting all these years. Well, it, it is that you should look it up because I'm not going to be able to quote okay. it correctly, but it, it is so much more satisfying. Oh, great. Brent Cobb, you have been such a cool, fascinating guest. The new oh. gospel album is fantastic and it's out now. Everyone, please go get this album. It's so great. Thank you for talking with me. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for letting me talk. And uh, yeah, of I hope maybe, maybe we'll meet in person one of these days. Please, I'll, I'll put some things in the mail and then we'll move it to IRL. <laughs> Thank you so much. Basic Folk This Week was produced by me, Cindy. Our music composed by Alex Stanton. Basic Folk is available wherever you get podcasts. You can also search on the SiriusXM app for Basic Folk. You can find us at thebluegrasssituation.com and at our website, basicfolk.com. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Oh, man, you listen to the whole episode? Wow, you are really something. Okay, bye. Bye.